0: So we are gathered today, three <laughs> Jennifers <laughs> representing Gen X, the name, uh, the name of the the decade. Um, Jennifer Friend, Jenny Holland, and um, my first name is Jennifer, but me. Um, and we had this this conversation uh, via text the other day around this article that was. Uh, published in Psychology Today online about what's it called a world without marriage, a world without marriage, and that just yeah that seemed uh, to me I'm I guess I'm wondering what what is going on with psychology today This is very strange They're just promoting some really extreme things and reading this article. Uh, Jennifer, you shared this, so what could you share? What was it that struck you about this and prompted you to share it?
1: Well, (laughs) I. um, I shared it because it really pissed me off, and it's kind of along the same line of a lot of other psychology today articles right now, which the way I perceive them, they're very much about trying to dismantle the status quo and trying to reshape human relationships. And um, and the person who wrote this particular article, A World Without Marriage, her name's Bella DiPaolo. She's a PhD. And she also wrote another article for Psychology Today called Check Your Marital Privilege, Move Over White Privilege and Male Privilege. So she's, Talking in the article, she's talking about a book which is called Moving Past Marriage Why We Should Ditch Marital Privilege, Eschew Relationship Status Discrimination, and Embrace Non Marital History, which is written by this professor at Connecticut State, Jacqueline Geller. I mean, and basically, she's arguing that it's unfair that married people get certain um, benefits and protections and that other people don't. Um, and so we should just dismantle marriage and the author of the article, Bella is sort of, um, going, you know, going along with that and in support of that. And it just strikes me as really peculiar that, um, now people can get married. It is not restricted to just heterosexual couples. And so it has been, that field has been opened to everybody. So nobody's being prevented from getting married so nobody's being discriminated against this is just if we don't choose to get married we still want to have all the benefits conferred upon us as married people but since we don't we should just dismantle the entire thing
0: yeah and and it's yeah it's a chosen behavior and so there's this this is something i'm that we keep seeing is these chosen behaviors certain things that we want to do, or we choose to do, or maybe we want to not to abstain from doing now are being used as the basis for discrimination claims. So it's an, it's you're you're trying to erase me because you don't like the thing that I'm choosing or not choosing to do. And so it's more of that argument, but something that you said in the very beginning of that about psychology today, being about engineering human behavior, I don't know if that was the phrase you used, but it was something like that sculpting human behavior. Isn't psychology supposed to be the practice of observing human behavior and understanding human behavior, like the study of, but now it's it's morphed into, at least in this iteration, it's overtly um, a- activist. I mean, it's got a it's an activist, yes, sort of um, bent that we we are seeing here in these kind of articles.
1: Yes, absolutely. And there's been other articles in psychology today. Um, encouraging therapists to destigmatize um, open relationships and polyamorous relationships, so it it very mm. much is engineering. It isn't just observing. It's also not um, studying what has worked well and what hasn't worked well for people in terms of um, mental health and well being, and looking at that, it's. It's basically proposing radical changes to society as we know it. So it's it, it's taken on a real ideological bent.
0: And psychology today is still one of the bigger networking sites for finding therapists, isn't it? Yes, it absolutely is.
1: Full disclosure, I advertise on psychology today. They have a little um segment psychology today find a therapist mm-hmm. and you can search by last name or by areas of expertise or your um you know your zip code or city so it's it's a great service it's wonderful it really does help people find therapists because there's little you know little bios a photo it's a great service but the magazine um the psychology today magazine i i just
0: mm.
1: it boggles my mind honestly
0: yeah, what are your thoughts about this, Jenny? Well, I mean,
1: I,
2: I come upon Psychology Today articles not infrequently that seem to be completely um, kind of out of left field and show that it's captured. But I kind of knew that anyway or just assumed it because everything is captured. Literally everything is captured by ideology and politics. And there is no aspect of human behavior that is free from a political slant anymore, which is truly bad for humanity, um, because it otherizes everyone inherently. If everything is political, then everyone who doesn't see things your way or agree with you is a political other, is a political enemy, essentially. It's terrible. Um, I mean, I I wrote a piece for Spiked a few weeks ago about a couples therapist. Uh, There's a TV show on HBO. I think it's called Couples Therapy. I've never seen it. I tried to find it here. I I couldn't find it um, to watch, but where the couples therapist... In New York, is uh, her speciality is bringing like white privilege into the therapy session, which I was like, oh, that sounds like what? What could we possibly do to make couples therapy even more delightful? <laughs> Let's talk about our privilege as well. And there was this hilarious vignette where she's like with a black man and a black woman, and she's trying to figure out who's the most privileged. And you know, spoiler alert, it's the man, of course. Um, so yeah, it's not surprising to me that. Um, marriage is on the chopping block, of course it is. I mean, not only have marriage rates been going down for years, decades, anyway. um, You know, I mean, I think part of, there is maybe an argument to kind of roll your eyes at this kind of thing and maybe not take it too seriously because I think with a lot of, with like, with sites like Psychology Today and Medium and a lot of places, I think maybe some of these um, essays and opinion pieces are kind of performative, Um, but I do take them seriously. I do take them seriously and I take them to be a bad thing, not, not a, not a positive thing. Um, I think marriage, I mean, marriage overall is a good thing. And I, you know, I don't know how you guys feel about talking about personal experiences with marriage and not, um, I'm up for talking about that. Um, but, um, yeah, I think marriage is a good thing and it should not be dismantled and marital privilege is a nonsense idea. (laughs) Just to put my cards on the table. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I when when I first read this article um, after you shared it, Jen, I um, I kind of skimmed it pretty quickly and I I bristled at some of the the assertions therein. But when I went back and reread it, I saw how thin it actually is. It's very weakly supported. And what you said, Jenny, about um, sort of taking it with a grain of salt or sort of dismissing some of these things because you already expect them to be um, activist ideologically biased pieces is but I I don't know if everybody sees it that way right. and so I do think that it is worth taking seriously that the fact that these kind of ideas are being um pushed not just not just allowed a platform because I mean yeah platforming ideas is one thing but but right. to kind of continually push this but on a site that is legitimized by the the um the patronage of of most licensed therapists really. I mean, and just, it's such a a hub. And it's such a resource for people that that gives legitimacy to the, the editorials that are published there. So,
2: especially because it's for, I mean, I think with therapists and with teachers, there's an extra level of um, accountability that's needed because if, if, you know, you go to see a therapist when you have deep uncertainty and crisis, or you need a, a sound ear to talk through things that are causing you emotional distress or uh, pain in your life. So the last thing you should be having to deal with then is a person who has an agenda and is going to put that agenda in front of your well-being and your individual circumstances and your individual um, pain. I mean, that's such a that's such a dereliction of duty. Um, that yeah, I, yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, it's it's alarming. It's very, very
1: alarming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like I, 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 I can barely articulate how much that bothers me as a therapist, because I take therapy very seriously as a therapist. I've also been in therapy. I still see a therapist. It has been an absolute lifeline to me. And to me, I really see it as sacred. Yes. And to me, this isn't, all of a sudden whipping out your ideology it is not much different to me than somebody going into profession into confession and the priest mm-hmm. whips out his dick and exposes himself <laughs> it is such a violation of trust of the role that you're supposed to be in it is i just think it's a it's a betrayal of the profession and of the yeah. ethics of the profession but it is a betrayal of the client who's coming to you Think about it. They're coming to you. You are a stranger at first. They are telling you their innermost thoughts, fears, complexes, and you're sitting there going, "I'm going to inject political activism into this." That is just so dishonest, and I think abusive.
0: Yeah. Well, it, it is dishonest, and it's abusive, and it's also low quality connection to somebody else. I mean, for I had some somebody I was speaking with the other day said. Um, my race isn't the most interesting thing about me. I mean, and and uh, and you know, that's a thing that we hear a lot. And I like that phrase. I like that, like my, my gender, my sexuality, my sexual orientation, my race, these are not the most interesting things about me. They, I, I sure hope not. But when you go into a, a, a therapy office and your counselor thinks that's the most interesting thing about you and it's already decided for you that that is what the, the main content that you're bringing despite whatever you're actually bringing in and whatever you think, I mean, it's just, it's low. uh, It's, it's a really low information um, context at that point. And so how, how helpful can that even be at that point? I mean, even if it's not offensive on all all those other levels and disturbing on all those other levels, it's just, you're being gypped out of a quality connection with somebody who should be there to really just be open to experiencing you as you unfold to them. Like, who are you? I don't know who you are. I'm curious about you. Instead of, I already have decided who you are because I've looked at your face and your skin color. Right. I've decided
1: who you are and what you need to do and what all your troubles are due to based on the position that you hold in society. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
2: I I only skimmed the article, but I quickly picked up on a note of of sort of like, almost like adolescent resentment, which I find um, in every aspect of woke, Culture, sorry about
0: that.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, and it's one of the, it's the, the defining characteristic, I think, of, of left-wing politics in general and woke. If that's a subset, it's probably not a subset. It's probably all of left-wing politics at this point. Um, but it's very um, much driven by this sense of like, oh, someone else has something and I don't have it. Mm-hmm. Therefore I must attack. And mm-hmm. this sense of like, well, I want to leave my social security to my sister but I can't because we're not married or whatever. I can't leave a beneficiary. I mean, I mean, I just don't think that that is something that's worth ruminating over in life. And I think that if, if, if I go to a therapist and I'm ruminating over that, I would hope that the therapist would sort of guide me away from this because it's one of those things. Like, I mean, in my, maybe I'm just old fashioned, but in, in my experiences of therapy in my experiences of you know, family members going into AA and recovery and stuff like, you know, don't fret over things you cannot change is one of the key, one of the key tenants. And uh, so, yeah, like the, this sense of like, of very immature adolescent kind of anger and resentment is what I picked up from that article, mm-hmm. even though the woman who wrote it probably is neither adolescent uh, or, you know, I don't think she's an adolescent, but.
0: I think when they tried to sort of they tried to kind of weakly steel man, the um, what about the children argument? Well, I don't even know if you'd want to call it that, but they, they sort of gave a, um, they gave such a thin response to that. It was, uh, or she, I should say, it wasn't a they, it was a woman writing Um, um, without matrimony as the Dividing line between family and non-family, non-marital households will not be considered second rate. So that's the reason she says these uh, that children. There's the argument that children are fare better within married um, homes. Children of marriages do better than children of of non-marriages. I guess or mm-hmm. single families or non-married adults, and the argument that actually children would do better if we got rid of marriage. She says, rather than just saying children would not be harmed, she says there would be benefits for children. And the benefit for children is that their families would not be considered second rate if nobody could be married. And so it's just, again, it's this whole, I, I'm articulating this so sloppily, but it's the whole um, destigmatize. And if we just remove stigmas, everything is better. And so children born out of wedlock, are according to this stigmatized and would be better off in society if nobody could be married.
2: Can well, I ask a question? No,
0: then, yeah, yeah.
2: Do you do either of you think that non-married but domestic partners with children are considered second rate, or and even our single parent families in in our milieu, like which is like a liberal kind of progressive milieu, even though we're not no longer those things. Maybe um, do in your life experience, do you find that? um, those non-married families are considered second rate?
0: Not at all. I would say not. I'll speak from experience. I was married when I was um, 19. I married my first husband. We had, uh, our first child when I was 19 and our second, when I was 21, he was a few years older than me, but it was still, you know, young marriage. And, um, we were married until I was about 26 and we got divorced. And then I have two sons. So those are my two daughters. They're in their twenties now. And then I have two sons with my, um, my partner of 12 years that we, we split up last year. We were together for 12 years. During that time, I referred to him frequently as my husband. He referred to me as his wife, but we never got married. We just, that was kind of shorthand because it's hard to say what somebody is. Boyfriend doesn't sound like, doesn't sum it up. Fiance gets old after about four or five years <laughs> and, and partner sounds like a business relationship right. or, it's or unclear. Maybe, maybe it's my wife or, or my, my female partner or something like, so it's just unclear. So it was easier just to do husband and wife, but we were never married and our friends knew that, like people who were close to us, um, our family certainly knew that. And I never felt like my children experienced any stigma or difficulty. And it, it didn't seem any different to me, raising two kids, at least for the purposes of how the children were viewed by friends, family, and right. society in general. So that's my- Yeah, I,
1: I think what you were saying, Jenny, is correct. There's this adolescent resentment um, vibe to, to the article because what, what is essentially being argued is, I want all of the privileges. Of being married, but I don't feel like doing it. Right. So I'm ticked off about it. And therefore, I want to ruin marriage for everybody. I just want to get get rid of it. This person's entirely free to be married. You can marry a man, you can marry a woman, whatever you like. So, and if you choose not to, then that's your choice, and that's fine. You're an adult, so you can make that choice. Nobody's stopping you nobody's um, stigmatizing you or your children. And let's say a few people did disagree with you or think it's second rate. If you feel firm in your convictions, what the heck do you care? Are you saying you have to have everybody's approval 24 seven? Yes.
2: Well, that's what all woke people are saying. They demand all validation they demand all the rights with none of the responsibilities, which then that aren't rights; they become privileges. If they if they don't come with responsibilities, then they become special status. They become you know exalted right. status. Um, that is literally the that is the entire manifestation of this so called political ideology. I mean, it's it's like that in every aspect. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, i I was born in the middle of the seventies and. A lot of the kids I grew up with, a lot of my family friends I grew up with, were single mom families. Um, my parents were married. But I, I don't, I mean, we just didn't live in that time. It's like these people are, they don't, it's not that they're trapped. I think they're actively wishing that they were still in the 1950s where we had a much more um, strict morality and a strict social code. So that then they would have something to rebel against. But they don't. But we aren't, so they don't. So they're just going to cosplay that we are so that they can feel like they're like a, they're like a, a crusader or like a great moral hero. And they can write dumb uh, takes on something that they are not in any way, you know, wise enough or deep enough to just dismiss out of hand, like in an ancient institution like marriage. Like, let's talk about marriage, actually, because like, I mean, I, you know, I think the, I've been married twice. I I married in my my early 30s um, and got divorced five years after we got married and we had a son and um, I left my first husband when my son was four and then I met my second husband and we stayed we were together for eight years before we got married we only got married um, a year and a half ago Um, and so I've always been – I, when I was growing up, I was really focused on, like, having a family. And I didn't really care that much about a wedding or ma- – but I, I was like, yeah, no, I want to get married. If I had met someone and fallen mad in love with someone who said, I'm never marrying, but we can live together forever, we don't need the government permission, I probably would have gone along with that. But I was like, yeah, let's, let's get married. Why not? I don't see why not, right? Um, but I think now that I've been through one failed marriage and one long kind of civil partnership followed by a marriage – I think I now understand what the point of marriage is. And it's actually um, its the responsibilities of being married that actually, I think, in my personal experience, have helped me become a real adult. And I'm not saying that you can't be a real adult unless you have these responsibilities, unless you choose to get married. I'm not saying that. But in my personal experience... Committing to someone to such a degree that you really have to um, work through your problems and 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 kind of stay on course requires sort of introspection and a personal discipline that I don't know if you get, if you don't actually get married. That's my two cents. I'm still working through this idea, though, because I'm still in the process of it, right? I'm still learning, you know? <laughs> we don't ever, it's, it's not something that will necessarily stop, but... I think it helps you understand and put checks on and limits your own indulgence, if that makes sense.
1: 100%. Yeah. It's sort of like a, it's kind of like a spiritual discipline, really. Because yes. You're, yes. You're always thinking of what is good for the marriage. And Joseph Campbell talked about marriage in ways that I thought were really insightful. He said that when you're married, you're not sacrificing to the other person, you're sacrificing for the sake of the marriage. Like the marriage is its own sort of entity. And you do things for the good of the marriage because you value that union. And it is good because it does put kind of checks on the excesses that we all have. And I, I I don't know if we get that same level of that um, when we're living together without marriage. There's something very psychological about going through the marriage. It's kind of like passing through some kind of archetypal gate. And... And I I don't know, I I don't know what that, what that is, but I think it has something to do with it. It, it, It's always floating out there, the idea of marriage. So if you're not married to your partner, the question is always why, and there may be some very good reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes there's legal, logistical, financial reasons, but it's always like, well, there's this final step that we didn't take. And why, why is that? Does our relationship not support that final step? And when you take that final step, there is a sense of, passing through something into something else a bit. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's that's a really interesting point. I, I think uh, what Jenny, when you're talking about the, the difference between being uh, married the first time, going through a marriage and then going through a partnership that has culminated in marriage, but spent many years in that uh, pre-marriage or non-married commitment, yeah. I have a similar experience with mine. I, I, my first marriage, I was really young. We had a lot of issues connecting with each other. There, the, there, it was, it was difficult, a difficult relationship the whole time. And when it failed, I felt really uh, I took that failure really seriously. And I felt um, I, I, it was a moral failing to me. It mm-hmm. felt very bad. i spent, I've spent many years still working through how that fell apart and whether it was, whether I should have done more to that commitment. You make a commitment for a lifetime and it, and when it falls apart, it yeah, leaves I, a scar. I mean, it pulls mm-hmm. out of, of your life and leaves a hole where it was. And I think um, I also, I, I, I am sympathetic with one argument that gets raised a lot in this Psychology Today article Um, and I, even though I I don't agree with how the author supports it, I am sympathetic to the idea that the state doesn't necessarily belong in people's unions. And, um, that was one of my objections to marriage with my, my previous partner that, that I spent 12 years with. I felt like it was a formality this was my thinking Mm -hmm. at the time like we're we've talked about marriage we're deeply committed we have children together we we own a home together our lives are intertwined he's the stepfather of my children uh my girls and the father of my boys and we might as well be married so i took in to took to heart that commitment i think i think as deeply as i if not more so than i did when i was actually married and so for me that that level of spiritual connection and responsibility felt like marriage. But in reflection, after things fell apart and looking back on the the wreckage of that relationship, I don't think he did. And I think that there would have been a difference in, in the conversations I've had with him since. I think it would have meant something different to him to have followed through with that ritual. I that is my, and I, I think many people maybe do need that ritual in order to feel finished and feel really complete in that relationship.
2: Yeah. Yeah. My husband says something similar. Like he, he had a family before he met me. He was a, he was also a young bride. Um, He was 19, I think, or 20 when he had his first kid and um, he and his uh, ex-partner never married. And then he and I didn't marry for a long time. And so when we married and it, very much for the same reason. They raised four kids together. You know, like, why? Why? We don't need, mm-hmm. we have children. Like, having children, there's the, I get the argument that if you have children, you're more committed than if you are married in the eyes of the state. I get that. You're tied together in perpetuity. Mm-hmm. Um So they never married, and we didn't marry for a long time. And for a long time, i was sort of like, you know, I had just gotten divorced, and I was like, oh, my God, I don't, I just couldn't really, I, I was, you know, working through that moral failing that you talk about, because I, my first marriage, I married for, for love. And I really thought I'd married the most stable, most dependable, most loving person I could find, I would find. And when that turned out to just completely collapse, I was really like, okay, how did I get this so wrong? I am the captain of my life here. And how did I steer this life of mine directly and my sons directly into an iceberg? What have I done? You know, like really? So that took a while. Um, but funny enough, when, when Brian and I got married a year and a half ago, um, he it's he, ever since then i mean it, it it hasn't worn off like he's he's always saying to me this feels so great it feels so different i'm so surprised at how much better it feels and how much i love saying the word wife and being your husband as opposed to just being your partner um and we ran a business together for five years so we we always had that awkward thing of like he is my partner and then you can't say boyfriend when you're like 45 years old it's just embarrassing you know it's embarrassing and we got engaged years ago and it was like Uh, it was so it it, it, but i I mean to me it wasn't so much a difference i i'd already experienced it but he's been really vocal about that throughout and he's not a particularly like big romance kind of guy you know he doesn't care about valentine's day and anniversaries um but he really does it means a huge amount to him that i am his wife and he is my husband which is lovely it's so nice
0: (laughs) you know that's interesting i have a, a a friend who I was talking with about relationship recently, and he was just coming out of a, a a relationship that was difficult and and complicated. And he told me, and I don't know I don't know this any any research to support this or not, but I found it very interesting that he said this. And I don't know if this is just his own experience. He said that the bonding chemicals that women experience after um, after being physically intimate with a partner are not the same for a man but men experience a similar level of bonding when they make a commitment, when they commit to a woman, they, they experience that, those, that release of bonding chemicals. And so I, again, I don't know if that's just his anecdotal experience as a man, or if that's based on something, but I found it really interesting and it's sort of stuck in my mind. And it, it, it really aligns with what you're saying, at least in your husband's experience, Jenny, where he's he's experiencing something really powerful when he reflects on the commitment, the, the spiritual and, um, and, and actual commitment that he has made to your relationship.
2: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's very interesting. That makes a lot of sense, actually. I like that idea.
0: Yeah. I mean, I
2: think I, I'm working on a piece about this at the minute, actually. I, I think that society has completely forgotten um, the, the positive male attributes. Mm-hmm. And one of them primarily is the sense of sacrifice and, and committing and working for your wife and children, and working for your family unit and breaking your back for your family unit. I mean, I, I mean, it's not that I, I, I don't think that bad men have ever existed or that women have been oppressed. And I mean, all of that is true, yes, but alongside that history, there is also a history of men working themselves literally to death to provide for the the women and children in their lives, and I mean, if that wasn't the case, literally none of us would actually exist. I mean, this is not this is so obvious that we don't see it, and so so yeah, I think again, I I, I can see how not being married and being in a committed relationship works for people. I can totally see that. I don't judge that at all. Um, But marriage is, also, it's such an old institution. Why do we think that now we suddenly are smart enough to just dismiss it? Like, how are we smarter than, like, all of human history?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's where I feel like my conservative instincts come in. I I mean, I can't really categorize myself, but I would say overall, sort of like a classic liberal, but with some really deeply conservative instincts. Because if we're going to take something apart, I want to know. What the heck are all the consequences of that going to be? And what are we losing? Because I really think we would be losing a lot. I, I think if we dismantle marriage, we're going to do tremendous harm to relationships. I really do. And I, I suspect that women and children will bear the brunt of that. Women and
2: children always bear the brunt of it.
1: Yeah, I mean, because women are more vulnerable by the fact that we are the ones who carry pregnancies and bring forth life. And we seem to have this uh, very deep attachment to children where you don't typically see deadbeat moms that walk away from the kids. Not that it never happens, but it's, it's, those people are really outliers, right? Mm -hmm. Totally. So, and marriage kind of protects the woman and allows the woman to make herself completely vulnerable when you get pregnant and you bring a life into the world. That's going to be your deepest attachment, maybe even more attached than you are to yourself in your own life. And if your partner flakes on you, you may have a terrible life of poverty. You may be without health insurance. I mean, it it could basically kill you. The level of vulnerability that it requires, I think deserves an institution to support it. Mm -hmm. And marriage is that institution. Of course, it's not a perfect institution because anything that's a human endeavor is not, but it's certainly the best thing we've come up with so far.
0: And so that's one of the things that marriage serves is it creates a, a support structure for the family. And it's a, it's a government or state sanctioned support structure for the family that ensures certain protections are available, um, within that framework. And then, but outside of, so there's, there's a, there's good arguments for state licensed marriages. And then there's arguments against, I think it's, and the arguments against are similar to the arguments against licensure in general, because as. You know, we started off this conversation talking about the counseling profession. For instance, people are seeking a license, and when that license process is hijacked by ideologues, then you end up churning out a, a profession that's tainted by the ideology that's um, yeah. undergirding the licensure process and enforcing yeah. certain sorts of strictures on those on the on participants. And similarly with marriage. If you're asking the state for permission and the state to be involved in that, well, then, then there's somebody outside of your um, of, of your marriage and even of your spirituality that has a say in how you conduct yourselves and and maybe can give you certain incentives or even penalize you in certain ways. So your student loans now are your husband's problem or whatever it is. Right. You know? So um, the the um, but if you are in a, if we're in a secular society if we take the state out of it what are we left with and what does it mean to be married and this was something that was interesting to me from this article the very end of it it's it's there's a quote here and i i'll just go ahead and read it because it's not very long um it says in the institution of government sanctioned marriage privatized marriage let churches and other religious institutions continue to offer marriage ceremonies let department stores and con- casinos get into the act if they want. Let each organization decide for itself what kinds of couples it wants to offer marriage to. Let couples, couples celebrate their union in any way they choose and consider themselves married whenever they want. Let others be free to consider them not married under these rules. Uh, others under these rules, others may prefer under. Okay, sorry. If, and yes, if three people want to get married or one person wants to marry herself or someone else wants to conduct a ceremony and declare them married, let them, if you and your government aren't implicated, what do you care? And so Wait, is this person
2: I, like 14? Like, uh, yeah, yeah.
0: I don't, you know, who is that? That's uh, this person is uh, Michael Kinsley. I don't know who that is, but he's written an article on this moving past marriage ways to move past marriage Abol- his, and this is this is taken from a an article published in 2003 called abolish marriage and it's in slate so i don't know what, what are you what are y'all's reactions to that it makes no <laughs>
2: sense i don't understand i honestly i'm like so you can marry yourself you can marry three people you can marry two people you can marry an apartment store you can marry in a in a casino, woo-hoo! like, I don't, it makes no sense. It
1: makes no sense. Like if everyone, if everything is marriage, then nothing is marriage.
2: Um, <laughs> That's
1: right. That's right. There, there it goes done. again though, right? We talk about that sometimes in terms of, you know, boundaries and the boundarylessness of the, um, the left. And this is, again, it's just tearing down boundaries. Yes. And if yes. you know, if you dedicate your entire life to another person, and which generally means that you forsake all others. You say no to the many to say yes to the one. You reject a whole bunch of other experiences. And that person dies. Yeah, I think you, it's nice that you can get their social security after they die. And by the way, though, when your partner dies, you, you get to keep whichever social security amount is highest, yours or theirs. You don't, you don't get both which is, I think, sad because you've both put into it. But that's how the system works. But so I think that there should be some payoffs to that. There should be some benefits to it. You know, you should have more say-so in terms of um, that person's medical needs and things if they become incapacitated. Because you've committed your entire life to that. And it should confer certain benefits. And now that anybody can get married, I don't see how you can say that they're being discriminated against They can either choose to do it or choose to not. I can choose to go to college and have the degree conferred upon me, or I can choose to not, and they're not going to give me that degree, but they're not discriminating against me in some kind of hostile way. I simply didn't, I didn't complete that program.
0: Yeah. Well, it seems like marriage. Oh, go ahead, Jenny. Well,
2: boundaries is the key to all of this, mm-hmm. but I mean, because this is not, this is not like the friendly populist um, oh, we're anti, you know, we want to defeat fascism of, of your. This is uh, destroy human relationships so we can replace them with what is essentially communism. I mean, I'm not saying this article, this person who's writing this article is advocating this or even understands the implications of what he or she is saying. But the left, as at writ large, now is, is totalitarian to the degree where they want to destroy every boundaried relationship that humans have, or, or, the, or the most important ones being you know, between spouses and between parents and children, and they want to destroy those so that people will you know, basically lose their minds and become utterly dependent on the political ideology that then they will use to rule over us all. I mean, this is no longer <laughs> in the realm of conspiracy. This is happening all over the place. Otherwise, why do we have teachers sitting around being caught on camera talking about making their kindergartners queer? I mean, this is, this is, all, this is not um, a matter of just like, well, I mean, I think marriage should be open to blah, blah. No, it, we're, we're, I think we're beyond that. And, yeah. and, and why lesbians are being told they're bigots for not liking girl dick. I mean, that's, that is rape culture. That is rape culture, right? My, you are violating my boundaries. In order to choose a sexual partner or a marriage partner, I am inherently being discriminatory, and that is my right. And suddenly, this idea of anti-discrimination means I can't discriminate on who I let into my bed and who, who I let into my intimate body spaces. I mean, that is genuinely horrifying. That's dystopian and that is what is driving these 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 ideas of like abolishment you know who else wanted to abolish marriage unless i'm mistaken i mean i'm pretty sure communists wanted to well yeah that's part of the communist
0: manifesto yes and also might i
2: might i add that karl marx whilst he did have a wife called jenny and i was named after her because my, my mother was a trotskyist um He lived in dire poverty. His children were badly cared for. He didn't know how. He didn't. He thought he was above having a job. So his own family life was intensely unhappy and unstable because he had all these ridiculous notions about reforming the world so that he personally wouldn't have to work in it. So he wouldn't have to be the male provider. I mean, this is not. This is not like a a, an untainted, pure uh, political philosophy. And maybe there is no such thing as a pure political philosophy. I'm not a philosopher, but his certainly wasn't. I mean, you can make an argument that he was just a lazy bastard and didn't want to get a job. And so therefore sat around while his children didn't have enough to eat. And he was dependent on the charity of industrialists Mm -hmm. um, to, to, so they could all survive. And so he could type out this book, which caused enormous damage to the entire world in the last 200 years. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, at the same time, maintaining this ridiculous illusion of superiority As, to everybody exactly. else. And exactly. And I've never exactly. I've never dated somebody who considered themselves to be a communist or Marxist or Maoist, but I have indeed in my youth dated people with that precise attitude. Yes. And oh my God, it is disgusting to see it up close and personal and what people who hold that attitude are willing to do, and the suffering that they are willing to witness so that they can remain above everything, above the rest of us, above having to work, above having to answer to anybody, above having to drive to an office. It is nauseating. There are people who absolutely just would, would see their wife and kids starve easily before they yep. could let go of that sort of ego perception of themselves.
2: Totally, totally. It's
1: And, you know,
2: and I, I am of the left, like my parents were, I grew up in a very left-wing, uh, bohemian intelligentsia environment. I, I am not from a kind of normie family in any way. And I can absolutely attest that lefties, and I'm not talking about my own parents, because my mother- had a lot of like working class common sense that she got from her mother who was from the Bronx and raised, 11, raised 10 kids. So my mother still had that deep attachment, thank God. But I can say, having grown up around the left, they make the worst parents, the worst parents. They are disastrous. And I think a lot of these terrible crises we're seeing among young people is that either they were brought up by left wing parents or super progressive parents or super liberal parents. Um, or, you know, that, that's just permeated the entire parenting culture enti- entire family culture, that it's done a tremendous amount of harm. Not to say that like strict religious upbringings are easy. They're, I'm not saying that. But um, yeah, the left have no clue. They have no clue when it comes to running a family and having some sort of sense of order and competency inside your home because everything is focused on externalities like, oh, bring down the system. Like, I mean, like George Peterson says, and he is right make your bed and then worry about the rest of the world i mean that's just basic adulting 101 nobody see this seems to be this is some treated as some like crazy right-wing revelation now i mean that's a bit of a disaster well
0: that sounds like that sounds like the problem of high openness you know yes your if high openness leads to great creativity but it also can lead to um, just an avoidance Chaos. of tradition and an avoidance of rules which i mean th- there's there's something to be said for balance in that area but also totally. if you completely uh completely throw them out the window you're left with just what i mean chaotic yeah it's it's just chaotic potential
2: and you mean you leslie you've had you four kids so you i'd be interested to know if you agree with this statement but i think that children are naturally conservative little creatures and they're very hierarchical and they, let, they find, they, they need boundaries and they need, they, they, they have, they, they're just like the pure human spirit. And I don't mean pure, like holy or, but you know, like they're, but they, they are the most un, undiluted human spirit and they recognize and they categorize difference. Mm-hmm. And they, that's how they seem to perceive the world. And because I remember when I was really little, my parents not being very traditional in many ways, I didn't like that. I was very threatened by that. And I found it very uh, destabilizing in certain ways. And they, they did balance it out by ha- my, my grip on a home with order. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I lo- children long for the white picket fence and the mom and the dad and the holidays to Disneyland. That's my personal opinion.
0: Mm-hmm. I think there's something to that. And I don't know, I've never thought about it in terms of conservatism um, philosophically but i think that there's definitely something to that i think kids need uh, kids need a a growth edge but they don't need all edges to be growth edges they need they need to be safely cradled so that they have a space right. for exploration that they have some control over so that the rest of the the world is sewn up for them the rest of the world is kept stable so that they can dip a toe out and explore but then have something safe to crawl back into. It's kind of like I'm picturing a hermit crab. So the family yeah. is like the shell, and the, the crab can come out a little bit, but it's not just on its own. If the crab has no shell, then it's very vulnerable and it's it's scary. But if, you know, creating that um, that sense of 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 structure and order is essential for safe and um, and uh, you know healthy exploration. It's something that uh, when you were talking, Jennifer, about um, the incentives and the reasons why we'd want to incentivize marriage and society wants it, that we should we should have certain protections in place. And then uh, and then Jenny, when you were talking about the um, the way that the the left progressive uh, angle or, or ideology seeks to undermine these family structures and these connections between people, it made me think about how, the, what you what you think we should have in terms of marriage is really dependent on what kind of government structure underpins your your foundational, um, um, I guess, i ideal for for society. So if you if you i if you think that a low government, low intervention, low control state is ideal, then you're going to want people to be have very robust systems for self governance and self. Um, you know, uh self-motivation throughout life. And so you're you you would value whatever gives people the most autonomy and the most um the most independent strength. And that would be a nuclear family system with tight family bonds and close relationships where people are not being overly managed and people are are the state incentivizes and encourages strength in the individual. And then if you desire, on the other hand, a technocratic society with very tight, um, very tight management of every human resource, so to speak, you would want something where those bonds are, are obliterated or at least very much weakened and reduced, because that means that the strongest bonds in society are between the individual and the state. And so that's what we're seeing right now. And it does like everything that you said, Jenny, I agree with your description of where we're heading and, and why we're heading there. And it really like, um, I, it's been a long time since I've read the communist manifesto, but I did read it when I was in college yeah. and something that I, I feel like for me, I already had a couple of kids at this point. I have my, my two daughters. And I, at the time I was, I was more inclined. I was very left wing in my thinking. And I was inclined to be on board with socialism and communism even to some extent and when i got to the part about the abolition of the family i thought mm, maybe that's going a little far i like everything else i'm like i'm gonna be yeah. communist all totally the same but totally. when you take the kids and you rear them in you, you don't let people be married anymore and now the children are being reared communally by the state i'm like no i don't really like that but everything else is great <laughs> i was exactly uh, the same <laughs> yeah yeah but that's definitely a part of the plan. I mean, it's take the children and rear them by the state. And I just was watching uh, some video on Twitter today where it's this woman who's a um, a teaching student, and she's crying. She's so upset. She's so like passionately, like, um, uh, hurt and 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 grieving for this bill or this law that's been passed in Ontario or in Canada somewhere, saying that um, students if they change their pronouns at school the parents will be notified and she says this is so dangerous this is such a danger to these children you're putting these kids in danger and i'm thinking what danger are these children in what is the danger what is the actual how did we get to a point where we can frame parents and normal family flow of information within a family average parents not some wackadoodle like like abusive families but just normal families are a danger it's dangerous and the teachers are the saviors of these children and they're imposed between the children and their parents because the cultural revolution has already
2: happened that's how and i think i don't think it's 100% 100% complete. We probably wouldn't be talking like this if if it were. Um, but I think in very key sectors, they have they have won already. And obviously, the education of teachers is the main one because I don't know. Like I wish I still was employed in the media for only one reason, and that I would love someone to pay me to do a proper like several years long investigation into how the Department of Education was so captured by essentially communism. I mean I would like to know that. I would like someone to actually do do the real digging around that would require that. I know James Lindsay's done a lot of good work on the on the philosophical end, but I want to know. I want to know who Where's the money? Where's it. the
0: trail of the funding? I want to know who signed
2: off. Yeah. Like I want to know what bureaucrats signed off on this yeah. and when did mm-hmm. it start? Mm-hmm. Um because <laughs> I think that it's so it it, it happened like it, it just kind of unveiled itself in front of us in the last couple of years, but obviously it's been, it's been, the seed was planted a long, long time ago. Um, and, you know, the disorder and the unhappiness, and unhappiness is probably the, the, the better indicator in terms of this conversation, because you guys are both therapists and we're talking about relation, interpersonal relationships, intimate relationships. Like I personally feel that people are pretty unhappy at the minute, uh, generalizing, Um, I don't feel like men and women's um, dynamic is getting better. I don't feel like children are doing particularly well at all. I think it's, I mean, it's very palpable, um, both in people that I know and things I see and things I hear about, you know, kids that of people, other people I know, and also in cultural representations of them in film and in movies. I mean, is like, people aren't okay. People are not okay. Um, And, you know, it's, kind of generalizing to attribute that to communism (laughs) but it hasn't helped like it hasn't helped the 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 injection of these ultra permissive fundamentally ideologically driven um behaviors is not is not helping it hasn't helped it hasn't made us happy
0: no and, and you know when you say people aren't okay it's it's sort of just in a just quick overview it seems like we've had an, a, a constant injection of of more and more gratuitous and um and as violative a word or am i making that up um it, uh, social cues being poured into the society through our media and our entertainment system over the years you know reality tv oh my goodness and and porn and all all these things that are just 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 going like a fire hose into the culture and then you destabilize things completely with this this whole covid nonsense and the and locking people out of jobs and and school and throwing everything into utter chaos. At the same time, as you pour a ton of funding into making socialist uh, uh, social justice advocates out of your therapists and then fund a whole bunch more therapists to go into the schools so that when the people come back and they're completely destabilized and they're totally confused and wrecked, they need mental health care. So they go seek mental health care from a new system of, of educators that have been completely compromised by this ideology. And they're ready to just accept you in and program you and spit you back out as good little technocratic citizens with your intersectional identity firmly in place. And So yeah, I do think that to some extent the cultural revolution has already happened.
1: Holy shit, I need a drink.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, I think that's a very good summation, Leslie. I really do. I think that's pretty on the nose.
0: Well, I think we need to pull our kids out of schools. ASAP. Well, yeah. I, mean, I
2: think I said, that we need
0: like, to boycott these schools and let them fail. Yeah. I that's what I believe. And I maybe I'm speaking too strongly, but I that's what I think. While we still have the legal right to homeschool our children, we need to pull them out because even if your kids are sitting around doodling in a book all day or and reading and, and no, goofing much around better off. and, and rubbing much off. a stick in the dirt all day long, they're better off than what they would be getting in this in this stuff.
2: And although all the attention has gone on um, with the transing of kids, which is, you know, obviously
0: mm-hmm.
2: terrible, actually bureaucrats and administrators have been abusing children in the United States school system for decades now. I mean, how many, how many kids have been forced to drug themselves? How many parents have been forced to drug their kids because mm-hmm. of just normal kid behavior? Mm-hmm. Or, or because adults, the adults who are being who are teachers have no idea how to manage have, have classroom management. Mm-hmm. And how, I mean, and, and actually, I mean, it's not always the teacher's fault, but like the, the government has been abusing children for a very long time. It's not new. I mean, it's it's particularly dystopian that teachers are, inv- you know, encouraging boys to castrate themselves and girls to cut their tits off. But like, I mean, it, it's not like this is gonna, not coming, out of, it's, it's coming out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. I mean, even the fact like this always struck me because I, I, I was educated in America only until the age of 10. And by the way the school I went to was a horror show. It was terrible. Uh, I was in the eighties in Brooklyn and like working class, blue collar blue color Brooklyn. But um, I would, you know, I moved to Europe as, as a 10 year old um, anyway, but I was always really shocked that kids in American high schools in particular had to start so early in the morning. Like even that is like a cruelty against children. I mean, I don't know if that's even the norm anymore, but kids starting at like 7am and having lunch at 11am. I mean. Like, talk about like, punishing yeah. your body. It's a it's Violation just such a of your circadian rhythm. Family rhythms. culture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, it. You know, I, it's. I agree with you completely. If it, I, I left America when my son was two, and I didn't make it. didn't announce it in this way at the time because I don't think I'd even heard the word woke yet. But I started to get an inkling of what was going on in the in the New York City public schools, and I was like, not for my kid. I'm not doing that. I was like I'm not going to get along with the other moms at the gate if they're all okay with this, like I need to go. And um, yeah, 100% if I was still living there, I would just I wouldn't let teachers anywhere near my kid.
0: <laughs> what do you think, Jennifer?
1: I'd be careful too about what therapist is <laughs> your Yes. I you don't want a woke therapist. You don't want a Oh, very careful, yeah encourage your kids in their gender dysphoria and the establishment of a, um, synthetic identity, which is unfortunately happening.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm very, Wrongly I'm right. very
1: sad about that in our profession. And I have a certain, I won't say I feel ashamed because I'm not the person who's doing it and I'm not really a collective guilt type person, but yeah. I do, let's just say I'm really quite embarrassed about it. <laughs>
0: Yeah. It's really, it's really a strange thing right now. And it's um, I, when I, I made the decision a few years ago while I was still in school that I wouldn't do, I wouldn't work as a licensed therapist. I still wanted to finish the degree, but um, I, I seeing this, I, I couldn't sign on to that, but I think that it's, there's so many reasons to do it. I mean, people, people are so, the, the licensing and the, the appeal to authority that that brings and what that signifies really still means so much to a lot of people that Absolutely. it's hard. We, I, I think we need a massive cultural deep programming and an, and a move away from expertism and a move down yeah. to smaller, smaller sources of understanding. And, uh, you know, just, I don't know, that's a whole nother topic. And here we I are would about an hour so. <laughs> Any final yeah, thoughts hard. on marriage?
2: <laughs> it's great. <laughs> it's great, but divorce really sucks. So yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, I would agree. But I do think if you're married and you get divorced, maybe you have a bit more rights in terms of finances and how things are separated out than if you did not marry. So so oh, you I
0: absolutely think, do. Absolutely. Yeah. So I yeah. think
1: marriage is still, especially if you have kids, I think marriage is still a really a protective uh, institution for women and children. Um, and, you know, if we want to keep breeding and not becoming, <laughs> not become extinct, I, I think we should have more, uh, you know, place a higher value on marriage and what it offers us.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I have a friend Great. who has started a divorce, process around the same time that my relationship fell apart she's still in the middle of it it's been more expensive it's been more difficult but she's coming out with with a much better set of protections and I'm just screwed in lots of ways lots of ways that I'm just completely screwed so yeah it's interesting to see that but that's it's a big story I do have
2: one final thought actually which isn't um it's not really a statement but you know when I was growing up um I was given the message just from society in general to like play the field and don't get married too young getting married too young was like a bad thing to do um but if my son came home to me at the age of 19 or 20 and said he was going to be a dad and he wanted to marry his girlfriend I would be like that's great <laughs> I wouldn't have an issue with it Th- mm-hmm. so that I think that just says kind of where my trajectory has gone I would not have an issue with it
0: yeah and I think I you know I- The whole idea of enforced monogamy, Jordan Peterson's gotten in so much trouble for talking about, but it really is not, it doesn't really mean in enforcement, like you are, you are obligated forever. It just means a society that upholds that kind of, that, that kind of commitment as something that's important and reflects back to the couple that this is important and that this is a valuable state, uh, which is. I mean, we have anything but that right now the society is reflecting that you should play around you should be polyamorous you should cheat you should, you know, oh it's no big deal, you know, uh, uh, what ethical non-monogamy is this whole new thing? If you ever go on I, dating apps, we
2: could do an entire hour on that. I have okay.
0: thoughts on that. We definitely should, but I got to
1: say that topic kind of pisses me off. Yeah. It okay. really pisses me off. So,
0: <laughs> so maybe we'll just do like a to be continued and not go there right now. But I I'll just say that. I, I think that the, uh, if we, there would be nothing wrong with early marriage like that if we lived in a culture that really supported people through the ups and downs that are going to come along because it is hard it's hard to stay married it it's hard to stay committed to it it takes a renewal of commitment it's not just oh we fell in love and now we're together you you have to really take that seriously and you have to take that seriously through time and i you know i'm sure we we all have lots of stories about that but yep Well, thank you guys for a great conversation. And I really look forward to doing it again sometime.
1: Yeah,
2: let's do it. It was fun.
1: Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Take care. Thanks for listening.
0: (laughs) Bye.